millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world Open the pot bay doors now. I'm sorry, Dan. I'm afraid I can't do that. Go ahead, make my day. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Black Hole Podcast. Again, you might be confused and think that doesn't sound like Tony. Yes, it's Matthew Latham. Yes, again, been given the reins to ruin Tony's podcast. Um, with me is the big man himself. Hello. I, I yeah. You you do you ruin podcasts? Is that is that your is that the point of you? Yes. Why are you doing this again then? <laughs> your self-destructive tendencies. Okay, you're you're also joining us via the medium that is the virtual studio, the internet. We have the return of Dan Tyler. Hello everybody. And with us we have um some guy who just walked past us in the street and just joined in for no reason, Tom East. Hello. Or Tom Yeast, as you thought he said yes. earlier. Yes. <laughs> or Tom is going to kill you all if you don't shut up. <laughs> now I'm just wondering if we could all well, that'd make it a very quick podcast, wouldn't it? It would be. Yeah, no. I can I can fill the time on my own. Yeah, the Tom Hole podcast, which just is a whole new <laughs> the Tom Hole the Tom Hole podcast. Oh um, wait, it's it's a plan. I get it. Coming up this week, we're going to have reviews of Foxcatcher. Into the Woods and American Sniper and in between we're going to talk about the news and the Oscar nominations. So let's begin with our first film which is Foxcatcher. Do you have any idea who I am? Some rich guy calls you on the phone. I wanted to speak with you about what you hope to achieve. What do you hope to achieve, Mark? I want to be the best in the world. Good. There's a key for you. Also, big house is off limits. Okay. Coach DuPont has a vision. He would like Foxcatcher to be the official training site for the national team. What's he get out of all this? What are you thinking? This is it. This is all that we've that we've ever wanted. Mark, you have been living in your brother's shadow your entire life. It's your time now. I promise you. 
I'll give you everything I have. I am leading men, and I am giving America hope. I spent my lifetime looking for a father, and I found one in John DuPont. It doesn't matter. The sport of wrestling is a low sport, and I don't like to see you being low. Why is there nobody in the gym? Yeah, no, I can't. You ungrateful ape. Foxcatcher is the story of the greatest Olympic champion brother team um, joining Team Foxcatcher, which is led by the millionaire sponsor Jean-Yves Dupont as they train for the 1988 Games in Seoul, a union that will lead to unlikely circumstances. You said that very, very sinister. It's also based based on a true story. Stars um, Steve Carell, Channing Tatum and Mark Ruffalo. Yes, it does. Who are the three main characters in the whole thing and the whole thing kind of spirals around them specifically it's it's a very very uh, interesting film it's been obviously really really regarded as some, something quite one you know huge and wonderful and now it's you know in contention for some Oscars and things like that I didn't take from it quite that much amazing kind of sense really with Foxcatcher I, I, I thought it was I thought it was very very well done I thought it was a very good piece of drama I thought it was very illuminating but it was very very bleak and very depressing and very sort of it, it was it was very it was very important that the character that the characterization was right and that the characters were strong enough in order to sell the drama and they were and they weren't in equal measure i think the whole the whole idea of it is it's not it might be a film about wrestling but it's not a film about wrestling the sport in a way is incidental it's really all about the character of Jean Dupont, who is this uh, industrialist, this extremely wealthy industrialist with family of magnates going back hundreds of years, who were involved in the civil war in terms of arms dealing, and he's built they've built this entire company, and he is basically the heir to like something like a two hundred million pound fortune, but he's a desperately lonely and slightly twisted individual in terms of what he's looking for. And what he f- what he desperately wants to prove, and he's basically trying to prove something ultimately to his mother. His mother's played by Vanessa Redgrave in this, and she gets about two scenes. One in particular that's very important to his psychology, which is all about him proving something, proving his worth almost. And she considers his involvement in wrestling as quite a low sport, quite a low endeavour. She's she pets horses and things like that, and she just thinks he's you know he's getting himself. There's a lot of class stuff going on here. There's a big class dif- difference, and. The whole idea is that when he he goes after Mark Schultz, um, one of two brothers who are both Olympic wrestlers, if you've said in the blurb, Matt, who are, are very different people. Dave Schultz, who's played by Mark Ruffalo, is a family man. He's the older brother. He's the one who everyone regards as successful. He's the one who's proven himself to a degree. And his younger brother, played by Channing Tatum, is very introverted he can't really communicate properly they communicate in fact through wrestling in one really really good scene the first scene of them together they wrestle and there's a lot said that isn't actually being said it's said through the movement it's said through the wrestling itself and it's it's one of those films where less is more but not always you don't always feel like you get under the skin of these people in the right way it's a very sort of staid very very slow burn kind of film that takes its time developing the characters developing the story and has this real sense of dread all the way through this sense of impending doom and it's all very grey you know the skies are grey it's very it's very autumnal it's very bleak it's it's very it's got 
very a lot of isolation involved. You know, the whole setting of Foxcatcher Farm is this massive mansion that's just really out in the middle of nowhere. And you kind of, at some point, even though you're impressed by it, you kind of want Steve Carell to tell a joke. <laughs> because it is really, really heavy going at times. But it's never melodramatic. It, it almost feels like it never quite gets to the gear it's you want it to get. It's kind of the point, though, because the characters can't really communicate properly. But at the same time, you're very distanced from the whole thing. And I wasn't as involved as maybe I thought I should be. That's taking nothing away from, you know, from how it was all... You know, the director, Bennett Miller, who's nominated for an Oscar, I don't think he should win, but he's nominated. He creates this this really sort of dark and quite doom-laden thing. And it, it, is, it is well directed. And the performances are all good. All three of them are good. And, Ch- and Channing Tatum, who... Obviously, as his critics, you know, but I, I think he's getting better as he, as time goes on, actually. And he's he's very good at playing a character who can't really communicate, and is quite a bit a bit of an ape, really. He even walks a bit like a primate, and he's quite, he's very good at that. And that's not having a go at him. He's just I thought he was very good in Jump Street films when he plays deadpan, and he plays you know um, the less he says and the, and the more he he doesn't communicate, the the funnier he was in those films, and it works in a different way in this. And he said that this was the hardest thing he'd ever done. And there's actually reports of how when he'd do a scene with Carell especially, they didn't really communicate at all. They would just get go on set, they would do their scene and they would part ways because they, it was so intense they couldn't even switch off and communicate. And you can tell that. <coughs> and the, what, but what he's going to be remembered for mainly is Steve Carell. You know, because his performance is, it is really, really, really good. And you do forget it's him. You do forget it's him. And he, he, he gets lost under the makeup. He's got this big hooked nose. He's got he's got more of a sort of drawn, sallow features. I can't tell whether he's put weight on or it's it's some kind of body suit. I don't know for sure there. But he, he looks heftier, not in a phys- not in a um, healthy way either. He looks like he's gone to ruin slowly, and he looks a lot older. But and he but and he's very creepy. He doesn't say much. He, he looks. You always feel like he's going to explode. But when he does, and I'm going to preface this by saying that I am going to talk about the ending here, because this is a true story, so it is on public record exactly what happens and the whole point of this story, really. But if you don't want to know, stop listening now, speed forward. But ultimately, the whole idea, the whole point of this is that DuPont kills Dave Schultz, and that is that is the climactic moment. He shoots him dead. And the, the reasons why, you, you can see in the film, and I won't ruin that, but the whole point of it is that you never quite know why he's done it. Almost. I'm saying the reasons why are in the film. There, is, there are certain suggestions as to why, but you never quite know why he's done it. And I don't know if anyone ever did in real life either. But it's, it's a very, very depressing ending to a, a very, very dour story. It's probably the right ending. But, and it is, because it's a factual story. But it's, you don't necessarily feel the, the under, complete understanding. And I think that was probably intentional. But for me, it didn't quite hit that level of, wow, I've just been knocked off my shoes Knocked off my shoes. What does that mean? <laughs> I don't know, but I'll just say it from now on. Off my feet. <laughs> or knocked out of my shoes. You knocked out your shoes, but your feet stayed on. My feet stayed on. Yes, thankfully. So I don't know. I I, I would recommend it. I think it's I think it's a really good film, and it does say a lot about about a really sort of tragic event, and it's it's well directed, and it it really shines a light <laughs> on a, a very sad story. But I think you know you've really got to be in the right mood. So. What exactly is the film, the film about? Is it about the relationship between Channing Tatum and Mark Ruffalo? Is it Steve Carell's character and 
Channing Tatum. Is there like a very, very strong theme running through it between the three of them? Or? It's kind of all of those things, really. I think, if anything, the theme is probably family. More than anything <clears> else, I think it's about, you know, how... The, I mean, Mark Schultz feels like he's in the shadow of his older brother. And the reason that he's drawn to DuPont is that DuPont can offer him... What on the outside looks like a father figure, but there's a bit more to it that the film suggests that in fact has been criticised by Mark Schultz, the real Mark Schultz, because he doesn't, he didn't, that apparently didn't happen in real life. There's a there's a quite a homoerotic subtext going on in a way that you you do feed him, and he got he got quite upset about that because he says that didn't actually happen, but it's definitely there in the film, and so it's a bit skewed. You don't quite know sometimes what Dupont wants from from Mark Schultz, and he, and that's where the creepiness comes in. And at the same time, Mark is drawn to him, like I say, because he feels like his brother has got this life and he's got this success. And Dupont, at the same time, wants somebody to prove, to help him prove himself. You know, he sees him say, he talks often like he's a patriot and he's a warrior and he's leading his men into, into battle, you know. And it's, he's got this really, really twisted image of himself as a mentor. There's this brilliant moment, in fact, where he's making a documentary about how, basically, how great he is. <laughs> And he's asking the Schultz, yeah. And he's asking the Schultz to contribute. And there's this brilliant scene where the cameraman is saying, "Well, um, just say that you know you think that that John Dupont is a is a mentor to, to Dave Schultz." And so Mark Ruffalo sitting there going, "What do you want me to say?" And he says, "Just just say how that he's mentored you." And he can't say it, and he struggles to say it because he's not. You know, he's built himself up as this, but he's not that guy. And it's a really good moment, and there's lots of little moments like that. But the whole, for me, doesn't didn't blow me away. Like perhaps I wanted it to, or I thought it might. But that's not to say anything against the performances. And and I think I don't know. I don't necessarily think Steve Carell will win the Oscar, but I think I think he's he deserves to be nominated because it is it's that kind of Robin Williams esque, blimey, can he do that mm. kind of thing? When Robin Williams was doing like one hour photo and insomnia, and everyone was like, what? He's a creepy serial killer, really? You know, you you won't know that Steve Carell, the guy who's that guy, and then Britt Tabland, mm. then. Pff, and you know, I'm, I'm I'm assuming I'm assuming that any shred of this is Michael Scott trying to be a oh yeah kid, trying to be a oh yeah you creepy guy. No. I don't think you'll notice that at all. You, you, okay, you, you wouldn't know it's Steve Carell. I think unless it'd take you a while. I think if you didn't know he was in the film to realise Jesus. I thought when I saw the trailer, um, I didn't even recognise him until yeah. the title came at the end. I thought. Who? What? Yeah, Steve yeah, Carell? Yeah. No, that yeah. wasn't Steve Carell. And then I watched it back again from home, and I was like, "Oh, I can see it now." Just, just about. I think you're, um, I think that a lot of that will happen to a lot of people, and you, you know, yeah. and that's that's really good, really, for him. And it's, uh, yeah, so it's a well-performed film and a good drama, but not quite a masterpiece, but very good. And um, with that, uh, that was Foxcatcher, and I, st- I believe it's still going to be out on general release next week as well. Yeah. So. So before we move on to our next film, we're going to hand over to Dan in the middle of Exeter, if he, and he's going to speak about a couple of... In, in the middle of Exeter? Yeah, <laughs> somewhere in somewhere are, are that you, area. Are you geographically right in the middle of Exeter, Dan? Because if you're not, then you need to go now, okay? Oh, okay. Well, well thanks for that introduction. Um, we've only got one news story for you this week, uh, but we will go through the uh, UK box office top ten from last weekend. Uh, but the news story we want to talk about is quite controversial. Uh, it's from The Guardian, written by uh, Frances Ryan. Basically, she said, Eddie Redmayne, who won the Golden Globe for playing Stephen Hawking, is the latest in a long line of non-disabled actors to portray disabled characters. 
and the whole article basically argues that uh, should able-bodied uh, actors be playing disabled characters um, and she kind of compares it to obviously is it acceptable now and it's not acceptable for actors to black up um, and obviously play characters of a, diff a different race or ethnicity um, so should we be applying the you know the same uh, rules uh, kind of unofficial rules as it were to actors um, that are playing you know disabled roles as it were what do you think of this Tony because we yeah. kind of Briefly. I think the, the key point to this, really, and why it's a load of old tosh, is that, well, okay, people don't black up anymore because black people can quite easily play their own roles. You know, there is there is no distinction. You know, the only the only reason people blacked up in the old days is because people didn't, you know, movie executive didn't want black people in films. Mm. So quite rightly, that's that doesn't happen. If you're talking about a disabled person being able to play a disabled character, I mean, the, the, it, it, won't, it doesn't always necessarily mean they can. You know, it's you, you. I don't honestly think you could have had somebody who was disabled in the manner of Stephen Hawking playing no. Stephen Hawking in the Theory of Everything because, for a start, no. he's he's able-bodied for the first half an hour or more. Mm -hmm. So I think in the Stephen Hawking example and the Eddie Redmayne example, he's ridiculous. There's a possible case to it, but I think the general idea of it is really, you know, it, it, you can't apply the same thing with a disabled person, I think, than you can with a black person. Yes, the other example she brings out is Daniel Day-Lewis in My Left Foot and Dustin Hoffman in The Rain Man. Um, so obviously, you know, again, can really a disabled person play those roles? It's, it, it, well, the other thing for me is it's a bit like saying, you know, we, we, we both watched Birdman last week, so does that mean that only a mentally ill actor can play yeah. a mentally ill character? Because it's a disability <laughs> just as much as motor neuron disease is. So you know, where do you draw the line? Do you say well, we're in? You know, we're starting to come around the way of thinking that you know, drug addiction and alcohol addiction, you know, addiction in general is also an illness. So do we say that only an alcoholic can play an alcoholic? You know, where do you draw the line? It's a bit crazy, really. And even then, even though we don't see actors blacking up so much. It does happen in comedy and in satire still. So it's to say it doesn't happen is a bit of a blanket term, really. Because I remember reading this article, and on one hand, I can, with for the cases that you've said earlier, I mean, if you're going to have a biopic that will show the gradual disability of someone, then unfortunately, you're not going to be able to have someone with disability be able to play that on screen. It's not saying that that there are probably untalented actors, actresses on there with disabilities that can play stuff like them. I think the article, I can't remember off the top of my head, the article um, talks about a play, if I remember, is it about a young woman with Down syndrome? Am I um, right? Yeah, the cripple of the Enishman, is that one? When um, Daniel Radcliffe played a disabled orphan? Is that yeah. one you're referring to? Um, I, I, think, I think it was, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure she was on about a play about um, a disabled actress playing someone with disability and shining really brightly yeah well there, well there are loads of examples obviously particularly on stage but then on stage you've got to think about the you know the the way you know these theatres are hundreds of years old they weren't set up being just you know disability accessible and you know they are to the audience now but you, you can't for example someone in a wheelchair it'd be very difficult for them to get around backstage in a wheelchair and you know, obviously, they do they do make allowances nowadays in in, in modern theatre, but it, it it's few and far between. And I'm not saying they shouldn't make these extra investments because obviously, you know, they should because we should be making sure that 
you know, everybody that wants to be an actor can be, but it, it's not always as easy as people think just to, you know, throw up a ramp in the middle of a, <laughs> in the middle of London. Yeah. Because, you know, if, if you think about it, you've got to completely change the, the layout of the building to, to make these, you know, kind of requirements. I, I think you've hit on a point there, really, a commercial point to this, which you've got to be naive to forget. And uh, this isn't necessarily good from a moral standpoint, but you've got to, you've got to remember that when people are making movies, a big big factor is about insurance for actors and, and mm-hmm. safety and you know risk. Now, this is why they have, this is why they they get really really worried when Tom Cruise decides he wants to climb up the Burj Al Arab himself, right? Yeah. And go, hang on, Tom, no, we've got a stuntman. He's like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm cool, right? Look, no hands. Look, no hands. I have sticky gloves. I'm fine, right? And no go, hands, Elrond. They go, shit. Now, you know, if you've got a, it doesn't, you know, apart from the fact there are no, as far as I'm aware, there are no disabled actors in terms of major stars in in any film industry that I know no. of. No, I can't. I can't think of it. Certainly, in terms of physical disability, I can't think of anybody anyway. And if there was. You know, I think the reason there isn't, quite frankly, is because they're terrified that it would be very easy for that actor to be injured, to be, you know, caught up in lawsuits. So, from a purely practical point of view, you know, I don't think this would ever happen anyway. And I, I know that's not necessarily a good thing, but it's a reality of the world. And yeah. I think that until we get somebody who is disabled, who is in a wheelchair, who is, you know, who does have profound autism or has you know certain medical different medical conditions and actually achieves then I think it's a bit of a, a bit of a non-question I think it's it, it, even if they turn around and went okay well we won't have a inverted commas able-bodied act to play this who does no. you know and, and that's who, 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 who are we going to have to play this role yeah who does it who are we going to who, who's going to play this disabled person that's yeah. not what they say when they're in, you know they're sitting in there right exactly the and who's talented enough and and it's it's a real shame for Eddie Redmayne that he's been singled out in this because he's brilliant. He's bri- particularly because particularly because of you know this disease that does you know completely disable them. You know, and as we've already said, it, it's, it's it's a gradual condition that, yeah. that this film follows. So if you were to do it from the point of okay, you're going to cast someone you know motor neuron disease to play him in that state, so then you've got to cast someone completely different, mm. and then you get the questions of. Oh, you know, we're kind of, you know, breaking the fourth wall, or as it were, by by having you know various various actors playing the same role. That's very jarring for an audience to watch. It's yeah. a lot easier to watch one single actor playing throughout his life, um, and obviously to do that, that person has to be unfortunately able-bodied. Yeah. Unless you're going to go down the Richard Linklater route and film it over the course of their disease, you know, which you... unfortunately, unfortunately, is based on a real person that's already gone through this. So. Yeah. Um, how blending in? How how do you define disability? Well, th- th- that's the big question. Well, because I, so I is this is this a physical yeah, disability? I think she she in this article is mostly focusing on on physical disabilities and kind of behavioural and, and stuff like that, rather than. But as I said, you know, mental illness is treated as a, as a disability these days, as is potentially one day addiction as well. So. You know, where where would you draw the line? It would it would never end. We wouldn't have actors playing anything. We would have real people playing themselves. It's one of those articles I think that's been intentionally baiting, Done. intentionally yeah. controversial, trying to bait things yeah. when in reality it is a discussion. But there is there isn't the other side to it, as far as I'm concerned. There isn't there isn't the other solution. 
Yeah. On to the box office top 10. This is based on last weekend's top 10 in the UK. At number 10, uh, moving down from 8th place. Third week is Annie, still taking well over uh, half a million pounds. At number 9, we've got Night at the Museum, Secret of the Tomb. I still need uh, to watch that. I, I do. Yeah. I, I've seen the first two at the cinema, and I've got a massive soft spot for them. Now into its fourth week, and that's uh, fell four places from last weekend. And number eight, film we reviewed last week into its second weekend is Birdman. Hey. I'm upset that's only at number eight, though. It's a shame more people haven't gone to see that yet. Well, I think it's probably because it's uh, it's a bit of a word of mouth. I think it's going to put a lot of people off simply by the fact it's weird. On the face of it, it's weird. Yeah. You know. At number seven, they never should have made a sequel, but they did anyway. Uh, the Woman in Black 2, Angel of Death. Mm. Um, that one took 800,000. Uh, so far, has just taken under 4 million altogether over the two weeks it's been out. I do want to see this one, actually. So I just need to find someone to go with. I don't want to go on my own. Why don't you go, Tom, and, we're, and have us on Skype so then you won't mm. be on your uh, own? I'm sure that will go down well. <laughs> <laughs> At number six, we've just reviewed it. A new in this week, Foxcatcher. That's taken just under a million pounds. Number five, as I said last week, this is fantastic. It's Paddington. Um, it's fallen two places from number three last week. That one's taken thirty-two million pounds yeah. to date. Out in its seventh week now. Not surprised. Yeah. It's also still hanging around. Dropped two places. At fourth is The Hobbit, The Battle of the Five Armies. That one's taken just under £40 million. Pounds. Yeah. And I'm assuming that it's still running. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's 40 <laughs> million, 40 million it's minutes. It's yeah. a pound a minute. Yeah. yeah. Still going this weekend, and I imagine it'll still be around to the end of the month, probably. Yeah. Um, number three, we reviewed it last week, The Theory of Everything, into its second week. Uh, it's quite nice to see that it's taken um, well over £2 million pounds this week alone, taking it up to just under £8 million pounds so far over the two weeks. I think that's and a classic case of something that's got a bit of buzz behind it and a bit of positive yeah. talk, and people are now going to see it, I think. I mean, it's been very busy this weekend as well, so that, again, that will be around for you know plenty of time now, at least until probably the week or two after the Oscars, I'd imagine it will still be showing. Number two, new in this week, we'll be reviewing it next. It's Into the Woods. That one's taken two and a half million um, in its first week, but blowing it out of the water. Unfortunately, can we guess what it is? Taken three. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, I was hoping that... just under seven million pounds in one week oh, in the UK God. alone, and um, over in America it's taken over 40 million, billion, oh, 40 million? Uh, 40 billion rather 40 million pounds isn't it I think they, uh, that, that's... Well, 40 billion is what they're going to pay Liam Neeson for the next one <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it took over 40 million dollars over in the US um, last week we'd be lucky to know this weekend's um, results just coming from America and it has been knocked off the top spot um, in the US and has dropped three places to fourth so Who's, if what's, the UK what's not... audience are intelligent enough they'll do the same this weekend it's probably still done enough though observing. it's probably still done enough for, for, an ex, for another one if you take one well, taken 40 million yeah ha 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 just for the name alone taken for a ride it writes itself it, yeah it really does really does <laughs> anyway so that's the top 10 box office films for this week okay moving that moving to our next review we have tom and tony talking about into the woods a film based on some guy's musical i wish 
Reversed. Into the Woods is about a bunch of fairy tale characters who sing a bit. I think the term they sing a bit is really, really understated. Um, there are maybe God, five yes. lines of normal dialogue in the whole film. Yeah. The rest of it is entirely singing, and it's all kind of. It all feels like the same song, like the melodies to all of the songs are exactly the same. I, I was kind of surprised that they all could sing. Like I didn't, my brain didn't put James Corden and singing together. Um, well, that sold it for me. <laughs> I don't know if it was just the mix or just the symbolism, but the singing was all very loud. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to sound like such a grumpy old man, but it, it was it's kind of too sound. loud. <laughs> um, <It's> too loud. <laughs> <laughs> it was. The singing was too loud when. Look, when Little Red Riding Hood was singing oh god like she'd hit high notes and I'd be like please don't do that oh. um, what about that bit where she screams I, I had to cover yeah. my ears Tom terrifying but I think the the cast are very good I, I really don't like Johnny Depp as an actor <laughs> so I was um, I was really quite happy at how small his role is yeah. in it um, whereas Anna Kendrick and Emily Blunt are amazing I think think perhaps they are both quite underused mm. Anna Kendrick is obviously very very good doing comedies and stuff but um, she doesn't really get much to do here whereas Emily Blunt Emily Blunt <laughs> Emily Blunt isn't Emily Blunt married to Tom Yeast <laughs> <laughs> I think mean, she is isn't she yeah yeah fuck <laughs> um, that's staying in that's staying in yeah Emily Blunt is very good as per always um, she doesn't get as much to do as James Corden. She does get quite a bit. And there's a lot of random side characters that have never really developed. Chris Pine's Prince Charming, for instance. Yeah. Although I do have to say, there is a scene between him and the character I presume is his brother. Yeah. Where they are singing about whose love life is more complicated. Yeah, yeah. And I was wetting myself with it, laughter. Isn't that the one that's called Agony? Agony, yes. agony, something like that, isn't it? Yeah. It is the funniest scene I have seen in a movie in a long time. Purely because it's so cringeworthy. Yeah. To see these two men yelling at how badly they are in love with these girls they've only ever seen once. <laughs> it's it's utterly ridiculous. Yeah. To the point that I was in absolute stitches, and um, there were quite a few moments through throughout the film where you know I was laughing. Um, I would say that. It's not a great film. It, it's a good film. It was like I don't regret. I don't regret going to see it, but it definitely felt the length it was. There was a point that I thought it was actually ending, and then it continued. But I do think, I do think, as a point of, um, it's obviously a fan movie, like aimed towards kids as well. And I think it introduces quite mature themes to a young audience mm. in a good way. I mean, you've got um, like death plays a big part in it, yeah. and they they don't exactly tackle it full on, but they address it in a way that's that will help kids understand. And it goes the same with um, they have like cheating and betrayal and stuff. 
So it, it's obviously not heavy drama, mm. but it, it tackles things in a way I think will make them easier for kids to understand. So I, I like the fact it's kind of approached it in that kind of way. Mm. Um, it's not all just like sunshine and rainbows. It's kind of kind of a realistic take on fairy tales, but I don't think I'd go as far to use the word realistic. I just can't think of another one. <laughs> um, I like musicals. It's just... I need dialogue yeah. and I need pauses to calm down before songs and I need the songs to sound different. Yeah. And I feel like I should probably mention Meryl Streep considering she's one of the main characters. Was very confused about how they used her. I mean, she's very good in it and she sings really well, but they didn't use her quite as much as I thought they were going to considering she's the top billed actress in the film. But they actually do add more in for her, so... I've not seen the, the play, as it were, but even if she's got a small small role in the play and they've decided to make it bigger but not quite big enough, or, mm. um, I don't know, don't quite know. But, uh, yeah, she's top build, isn't she? But she doesn't really do yeah. much. Yeah, and I, I did think it was kind of weird that Johnny Depp is, like, above the title, and yet he's in all of five minutes of the film, well, which I'm, I'm thankful for. I just thought it was a bit weird. Well, yeah, Johnny no, De- I'm with you with the Johnny Depp hate. I just can't stand it. Well, with, with Johnny Depp, it was a... Um, it was it was a little deal he had with um, the studio apparently that they would pay him one million just to flat one. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of his usual something like 40 or something, which he gets just for a small role as part of another contract. So it was, it was, it was like a, there was a word for it basically it's him doing them a favour and if so, doing someone a favour means you get a million dollars now I'm in the wrong job quite honestly yeah yeah. The, the, I, I agree with a lot of what you said Tom yeah I didn't like it as much as you even though you didn't you didn't fall over it completely either I was in pain after about half an hour so much pain in fact <laughs> that 
I committed the cardinal sin of, of movie going, and I was in the uh, I was in that lovely Telford IMAX that I mentioned. Well, not IMAX, but Telford Cinema again. So I was in my own seats once more, and I was sitting there with my phone out, texting my girlfriend. Right, the cardinal sin in the cinema. I should be hung for it. Right, I you know to the point the usher had to come over and say to me, oh, "Sorry, mate, can you put your phone away?" And I I honestly said to him, "Can you turn the film off then?" Right, and he changed. He went, "No." <laughs> I'm sorry then, and I put my back. And the only reason I stayed was because my train wasn't for another like hour and a bit. So should have found a pub. I should have found a pub. What, why did you? Why are you saying that to me now? Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> so you learn from next time. I learn from it. The reason that I was in pain isn't because I don't like musicals. Because I do. You know, I I, I love West Side Story. You, you put Mary Poppins in front of me, I will laugh and cry and sing to my heart's content. You know, this every single line is like this. Every single line is like this. You speak, you don't, you sing. Every line, lay them. I'm still talking to you like this. Every single line almost is that. To the point where I... just cut in there and just say, did anyone else feel kind of uncomfortable? Yes, yes, I I really did. And I I I was sitting there thinking, okay, I've seen musicals on stage. They don't do this. They don't do this. They do a song, they have a scene... It's not constant. It was like, constant. It depends. Well, it depends on the musical. I mean, because well, Joe's musical. in a technical dream card. That's what. That's pretty much all song. But I think I think on stage though, there's a certain level of understanding with this that that you that you get a certain almost social contract you go into, knowing that you're gonna you're gonna get that a bit more with a film. It's just too much. It you you need a bit of a, you need a bit of a break, and it, and it was. It got to the point where I, I was uh, very early on. I was thinking, I don't, I'm not engaging with this. I don't care. I, 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 I'm, I'm irritated more than anything else. I was really irritated by it. And you know, then James Corden is in a lot of it, and I can't stand James Corden anyway. Right? He was easily the worst person in this. Anna Kendrick, yeah. I, I do agree. Anna Kendrick is, is great. And I, I watched Pitch Perfect not so long back actually last week, and I, I thought that was a great film, and I thought she was brilliant in it. Now. She yeah, I'm a big fan of Anna Kendrick. I think she's brilliant. So she she was underused as well. And she was a good Cinderella. Emily Blunt, I didn't like her character, but I like her and I like Emily Blunt not just because she's gorgeous, but I like I think she's a good actress as well. Um, it does help. It does help. <laughs> but she is but a good actress. Bad in she well, is. She is. I just didn't like I didn't like her character, and she's unfortunately partnered with James Corden, which doesn't help. Johnny Depp. Apart from the fact he's only in it for five minutes and he's just doing the uh, usual Johnny Depp, oh, come on, and he looks with his twirly moustache and he's like, oh, the usual thing he does all the time. He was really Jimmy Savile in this film. <laughs> he really, yeah, I was just about to say, he is so pedo he's his song. So pedo. Like, oh. he's, he's, he's walking after uh, the Red Riding Hood in the forest and he's going, look at the meat. The little young meat. I'd love to feast on her little young meat. And I was sitting there thinking, what? In the days yeah, of you tree, really? They, like, they pulled it back quite a bit. In, in apparently in the musical, that is a major theme: is that Red Riding Hood and Wolf get it on. Oh God, yeah, oh, it's, that's gross. it's horrible, and it, it really—I didn't like that at all. And I'm thinking, you know, Johnny, it's, it's bad enough you have to keep doing Jack Sparrow. That's the next exception, doesn't it? Who plays Little Red Riding? Child, I don't know her name. She's about she's about twelve, and what? she's got a really warbly voice. Like Tom said earlier, so when she sings, it's really, really fucking annoying, really annoying, really high pitched, and she screams. You know, you know, between Dumb and Dumber, where he says, "Do you want to hear the most annoying sound in the world?" And he goes, Aah! "That is like her scream, but higher pitched." <laughs> uh, and I, I covered my ears, going, "Oh, please stop!" I did that for a lot of this. 
The only thing, the only thing that kept me interested, and every time she was on screen, I just desperately wanted to stay, was Meryl Streep. Because like Tom said, Meryl Streep's the best thing in it, right? And she elevates it to a different level. She's the only person who I genuinely thought got to any kind of character level. You know, you really did get a grip to grips with who she was and why she, why she was doing what she was. Because she's ostensibly the villain, but it's not quite that simple. But everyone else... She's, probably, she's probably got the least identifiable character, a relatable character, because obviously she's playing a witch, whereas, you know, it's like the baker's wife and the baker and... Red Riding Hood, etc. The they are supposedly people. Yeah, but they so were. Should be able to run, they should have more character to them, really. I didn't care. I didn't care about them. I didn't care about anybody in this. I just wanted them to shut the fuck up, quite honestly. I really did. <laughs> and by the, by the time we got to the ending, I was just in blessed relief, you know. And there's a really, really weird off screen death as well of one of the characters, which I'm not going to talk about. But I literally went, where the fuck did that person go? You know, and uh, they, they changed that from the play as well, apparently. But it was, you know, there were some really jarring decisions made in it. And trying to combine all the different, you know, uh, myths and all the, all the fairy tales into one big pot. The whole, the whole first, like, hour of the film is basically lots of little jumbled, little intertwining fairy tales with all the interesting bits missing. You know, you're not actually seeing all the interesting bits that go on, the stories you know. It's like, oh, it's the aftermath of Jack going up the beanstalk. Oh, it's the aftermath of Cinderella going to the ball. And you're like, well, hang on a minute. Oh, this is the bit you'd cut normally and it was just, I just no I, I, I it just annoyed me it really annoyed me and I was annoyed because I, I, I like a musical I like musicals I just think that without Meryl Streep this would have made me literally literally slip my wrists with whatever was there I wasn't really very impressed I wouldn't recommend Into the Woods I would wait until it's on telly and you've got earplugs and there's something else on the other side that you're watching yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay um, Into the Woods is still out for you to avoid yeah. across the cinema today okay so what we're going to do again we're going to head back to um, a bit of talk about the latest news which is the Oscar nominations and it's going to be led by Mr Dan Taylor hello hello again hello uh, so the Oscar nominations were released I think that was it last Sunday? No, Thursday, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so we're going to concentrate on the main five categories because uh, the other ones, well, really, no one's really interested in sound editing. Uh, it's the bit you always skip through. Yeah, you're you do it the best bit, picture yeah. to come along, aren't you? First up, actor in a leading role. Um, we've already spoken about his performance um, already. Steve Carell is nominated for Foxcatcher. Uh, we've got American Sniper coming up, um, and Matt's been nominated for Bradley Cooper. Benedict Cumberbatch, nominated for The Imitation Game. We talked about last week, Michael Keaton for Birdman, or as it's also known, The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. And finally, Eddie Redmayne, nominated for The Theory of Everything. What are we going to go for? Um, I'm, the only one I haven't seen is The Imitation Game yet, which I, I do intend to remedy hopefully before the Oscars. Um, so I don't know about Cumberbatch. I think, personally, I think that Michael Keaton will win this, but I want Eddie Redmayne. The thing about Cumberbatch for me is, because I've seen The Imitation Game, he gives a very safe performance. It's what you would expect from Benedict Cumberbatch, and it is, it's, it's perfectly, it's perfectly mm. fine performance. There's nothing exceptional. It's not like the performance that Keaton or Redmayne give. Yeah. Um, and it's almost, I can, I can see if he wins it, I can see him becoming a bit like Daniel Day Lewis, where he wins just because it's Benedict Cumberbatch. I'm not, that's not downgrading Daniel Day Lewis. He always gives a fantastic performance. But perhaps sometimes it's always what you would expect, or it might not necessarily be the best performance on the list, but that name wins for that reason. And I'm worried that's what Benedict Cumberbatch will become if he somehow manages to pick this one up. Mm, I do wonder that. I've, yeah. I've only seen two, but um, I, I agree with Tony that I want Eddie Redmayne 
to win, mm. mainly because of the power of that performance. Yeah, I went with Eddie Redmayne. That was my that's my kind of guess, as it were. But I wouldn't be upset to see Keaton win it. I think he was fantastic. But did you reckon Steve Carell or Bradley Cooper got a chance? I, I, yeah, to be honest, I, th- I think it's an open, it's a fairly open race, really, because you're talking about five. You're talking about a couple of very, very hot properties like Bradley Cooper and, and Benedict Cumberbatch. You're talking about an up and comer, and then you're talking about a guy who's completely changed his career trajectory, and another guy who's having basically a, a career renaissance. So there's there's very different approaches you can take. And the thing is, I like all of them. I like every single per actor on this list. I think they're all talented. I think they're. Mm all their performances are very very good so I wouldn't really begrudge any of them but I know I've seen Cumberbatch but I love Cumberbatch so I'm sure he's good I wouldn't begrudge any of them to win but I, I, I would like Eddie Redmayne because I think what he did to become Stephen Hawking as we talked about last week was extraordinary and he deserves it well the reason that I went for Redmayne was because moving on into the actor in supporting role was because I personally picked Edward Norton for, for Birdman um, and I can't see them both picking up I can't see Keaton and Norton picking up in the acting categories it's kind of going to be one or the other as it were but equally the supporting role category is quite tough you've got Robert Duval 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 that's it for the judge uh, obviously as alongside Johnny Depp Ethan Hawke for the uh, Richard Linklater film Boyhood also got Mark Ruffalo for Foxcatcher and one that I think might well win it is J.K. Simmons for Whiplash um, which we'll hopefully review next week um, can I just cut in and just say the judge is with Robert Downey Jr. and not Johnny Depp? What did I say? Did I say Johnny Depp? You, I meant you to said say Johnny Robert Downey Jr. See, I just put them in the same category, those two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as I said, I went, I went for Norton, but I could see Simmons picking up. <clears throat> I guess it's dependent on, you know, none of us have seen it yet, but from the reviews, he gives, you know, a, a pretty blinding performance alongside Miles Teller. I think he's possible. Uh, I, I don't think Duval Duval I can't even say it now <laughs> Robert, Robert Duval I don't think I don't think he'll win it Duval <laughs> yeah, even though he's a great actor but he's, he's won stuff before I, I get I kind of think that Ruffalo might win this it's not the best performance by any means of all this personally I want Norton because I think Norton yeah. was great in Birdman in fact I think he was better than Keaton to be quite honest but I, I, I think I think it could be Ruffalo but J.K. Simmons from what I've heard yeah I'll be seeing Whiplash next week then yeah I think I think it will be between I think it's between those three Norton, mm. Ruffalo and Simmons this has come under a lot of scrutiny actually um, and it was a, a new story that I did think about putting in about how they've talked about the fact that it's very male and white uh, bias this year um, yeah. which obviously the Oscars is constantly criticised for is. but particularly this year um, and I, admittedly the actress category is quite weak this year in comparison to previous years we've got Marion Cotillard for Two Days One Night Felicity Jones for The Theory of Everything Julianne Moore who picked up the Golden Globe uh, last weekend for Still Alice Rosamund Pike for Gone Girl and Reese Witherspoon for Wild I know who I want to win yeah Labour will want Felicity Jones to win every Oscar ever again yeah (laughs) I'm not not, when I say obviously a weak category I'm not downgrading the actresses at all they're both all five of them are fine actresses but arguably there are probably only two really good films in there there's no heavyweight massively heavyweight actress in that either I would say no. really um, there's no Meryl Streep no, no you know Helen Mirren or no uh, I think just quickly just quickly before we say this just quickly going back to the, the point you made Dan about the actors I think there's, there's two things about the best actor that, that need to be mentioned the first one is the fact that Jake Gyllenhaal was overlooked for Nightcrawler which has caused a lot of consternation from a lot of people 
um, because he's supposed to, I haven't seen Nightcrawler yet but he gives a fantastic performance apparently and the other thing is and this goes back to the race issue uh, why David Ayello didn't get a, um, a nomination for Selma for playing Martin Luther King which is um, Selma's hardly has been massively overlooked and apparently Selma's brilliant that comes out in a couple of weeks in, in Britain mm-hmm. um, which I'm looking very much looking forward to again why wasn't he nominated I mean you're talking about a lot of good actors but personally I, I would I would swap out Cooper for either one of those myself well, I, I, I would, you know, you could potentially swap out Cumberbatch as well, because as I said, it's a, it's very Oscar material yeah. type performance. It's nothing mind blowing. It's, 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 you know, it's not the kind of performances that Keaton and, and Redmayne particularly. But going back to the actress thing, um, personally, I think that Reese Witherspoon will win this because she mm-hmm. she's a perfect kind of Oscar darling. You know, she's the kind they love, and the kind of the film she's in Wild, which I haven't seen. I'm going to see it this week. Is Oscar Bate to a T. Who I want to win, however, is Rosamund Pike because she was brilliant in Gone Girl. And Gone Girl is another film that's been very much overlooked. I didn't think Gone Girl was amazing. It's not my top. It was not in my top five of the year, but it was it was really good. I mean, Fincher potentially deserved an, a, nod, a nod. Um, but yeah, she, it's particularly Hollywood, though, isn't it? That one. Yeah. They don't. They don't often particularly go in for the best no, feature, do they? They don't. And, and but she was. She was really, really good. Um, so I, I hope she wins, but I don't think she will. Yeah, I've not seen Stellaris yet, um, but I just love Julianne Moore, so yes. I would like her to win. Yeah, she, she deserves it. it she deserves it, yeah. Moving on to the supporting role, this is where Meryl Streep comes up, but Into the Woods, the gorgeous Emma Stone for Birdman, Kira Knightley for The Imitation Game, and Laura Dern for Wild, and as I mentioned earlier, Patricia Arquette, or Arquetta, however you want to pronounce it, for Boyhood, who's the person that I went for for this category. I think that Meryl Streep will win because they just love to throw awards at Meryl. And, you know, she's good. She's good in Into the Woods. She's the best thing in it. But I don't think she's an Oscar-winning performance. Um, Oh, God, no. No. I don't think anyone in that film really deserves an Oscar no. or anyone else. No. No. Well, see, that, that's why I kind of think she won't get it because it's not a very good film. I just think that when she's up, she's, she's always in with a chance. Even though, personally, I mean, I, I haven't seen Boyhood yet. I, I haven't seen the other three, so I can't comment on the others. But I wouldn't mind seeing Emma Stone get it, even though I don't really think Emma Stone is great enough in Birdman to warrant it. No. Whereas I think uh, Patricia Arquette was brilliant in Boyhood. And actually, not from the trailer, I think Laura Dern perhaps in Wild gives a, a very similar type of emotional performance. I think they might go for one of those two. But obviously, if they're going to go for the name, then it's, it's going to be Meryl Streep. Yeah. In the big category, Best Picture, uh, the ones that were nominated were American Sniper, Birdman, Boyhood, The Grand Budapest Hotel, The Imitation Game, The Theory of Everything, Whiplash. And I just said Selma wasn't nominated because I keep reading articles that it wasn't, but apparently, according to this, it was. So. Yeah, it was. It's just been overlooked, I think. Uh, was it, uh, I think it was overlooked in director, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, uh, and, and main performance. Yeah. I think I, I, personally, I, I this is this is difficult because I think a lot of these films are very, very, very good. I've got a feeling that Boyhood will win this simply because, or if it all Richard Linklater will win for director, which is coming up in a minute. I don't know if it will win both, no. but one or the other, I, because Boyhood is such an achievement that I think, and it's so different. I think I think it could get it. I, the one I want to win is the Grand Budapest Hotel because I want that to clean up because it's a, a wonderful piece of work. But I don't think it will. I think it's too frothy and lightweight to win the Oscar, win the best picture, quite honestly. 
Um, I think it's I think it's tighter this year than it was last year. I mean, yes. Last year they had you know two standouts, didn't they? Yeah. But I think this year it's a lot more of a level playing field. Yeah. Last year it was uh, twelve years of slave and gravity, and it was a it mm. was a shoeing that it was going to be either one of those two. Completely, it was two horse race. This one, uh, there, if there is no apart from American Sniper, which I really wouldn't put in the running. I think it's a a seven horse race. Yeah, mm. quite honestly. Well, uh, yeah, I will quickly, men- quickly mention the director because I guess they do go hand in hand. But the five nominated for that were, as you couldn't pronounce last week, Alejandro uh, Inierta, Alex, Alex. <laughs> um, Richard Linklater, who I will apologise for mispronouncing his surname last week. I don't know what you'll apologise later. Uh, <laughs> we skipped over uh, last week. We skipped over. Uh, this is obviously Boyhood. Uh, Foxcatcher is Bennett, uh, Bennett Miller. Grand Budapest Hotel and Wes Anderson and the imitation game is Morton Tilldum. But yeah, I think I think they always go hand to hand because you always guess. Oh, if it wins this, then it won't win director. If it wins director, it won't win best feature. And like, I think you might be on the right lines. Whereas if Boyhood wins best feature, it probably won't win best director. If it wins best yeah. director, it won't win best feature. But then I think Alejandro. Might win for Birdman. I, 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 yeah, I think if it's not Linklater, I think it's going to be him. Yeah, mm. I think which which I wouldn't which I wouldn't say is a bad thing because Birdman was very very well directed. So I wouldn't mm. I wouldn't go there again. I'd like Wes Anderson, but because I, I just love that film. But uh, I think out of the two out, out of those two categories, I think he, they're more likely to pick the director for Wes Anderson than they are necessarily. Yeah, the yeah, I agree. The film is quite for everybody, and in the same way, Boyhood isn't quite everybody's cup of tea. I think Boyhood is a lot more. You know, accessible for for a wider audience. Not that that usually yeah bothers the Oscars. <laughs> yeah, well, true. Again, you know, it's there's, there's, it's fairly tight, and that's why it's quite interesting this year. It's it is it is it could go either way with a lot of these awards, which is which is really quite fun because it was it, it was last year far far more you know obvious that it was going to be uh, you know even like Al- Alfonso Cuarón and and Steve McQueen, for instance, in the directors or yeah. You know, in those films for, for the main one, so it's mm-hmm. it's interesting. It could go various different ways. Well, I I I'm probably go for Birdman for best picture and um, Alejandro for best director. Laban, because I've only seen in the best picture. I've seen two of the films in the best picture. I'm going to go with the theory of everything. It's the only one I've seen and <laughs> that I quite liked. So yes, that those are the Oscar predictions, and we'll find out if any of you are right near the end of February. Okay, and we're going to move on to um, our last film, which is American Sniper. Hold on, I got a woman and a kid 200 yards out, moving towards the convoy. Her arms aren't swinging, she's carrying something. She's got a grenade. She's got an RKG Russian grenade. She's saying to the kid. You say a woman and a kid? You got eyes on this? Can you confirm? Negative. Your call. They fry you if you're wrong. This is the film which is the biopic of um, Chris Coyle, a Navy SEAL who recorded, I think, 160 confirmed kills um, during about four tours of 
Iraq, I think it was. Either Iraq or Afghanistan, I can't remember. Iraq. Was it Iraq? Yeah. It was Iraq. The film um, details his time over there and the psychological effects that it has. Mm. stars Bradley Cooper and Sienna, Sienna Miller. and I've got to say, Sienna Miller, I, I didn't realise that she was in Foxcatcher as well, actually, funnily enough. I didn't realise it was Sienna Miller. Well, yeah, I mean, for a start, she looks very different. And um, she, she's actually, she is actually in Foxcatcher. She plays um, Dave Schultz's wife. And I didn't realise that I'd seen her in two films on the same day, uh, one after the other, um, which is remarkable, really. And she, she's, she's really come on as an actress. Yeah, you have to, I think we'll have to preface the fact that it's a, it's a, it's another like fox chat fox catcher fox chatter fox chatter <laughs> <laughs> like like chox fatter uh, or fox chatter yeah yeah I think we need to preface like um, with fox catcher this is a film that covers real life events yeah. and again this this review might start to delve into spoiler territory if you're not familiar with the story of Chris Kyle because I don't think I'll be able to speak about this film without spoiling the ending mm. so we're just going to just to put that there so this is your spoiler warning and you'll be able to tune back in at whatever the <laughs> time is <laughs> yeah it, it's to, let's, let's get to the crux of this basically at the end we find out that Chris Kyle the man involved is now dead it's an, it is a build up to that point but at the same time it's not really it is more about what war does to people what war does to soldiers it's th- this guy Chris Kyle who's uh, played by Bradley Cooper as we say is this um, Navy SEAL your typical American man you know in, in terms of the actual stock type you know he's he's strong he's God fearing he's He's deep, he's deep south, so he's Texans, who does Texan draw all the way through. Bradley Cooper doing a Texan draw. It's quite a good Texan draw, actually, which he manages to sustain. And he, you know, he grew up with a very sort of strict authoritarian father who taught him, basically, not to, you know, not to give in to bullies and to, to be a hunter and not be the hunted and to not be a sheep. So he drills that into him from a very young age. He thought also to... Wasn't there like a metaphor involving a sheepdog about that you protect everyone else? Yeah, about being a protector and about looking after your, you know, your family and your country. Yeah. And then, basically, when in the late 90s he starts to see terrorist bombings going off, so he sees the Oklahoma bombings, and then, he, then importantly, he sees 9-11, he decides, right, I, I want to do something, I want to make a difference, I want to sign up for my country and, 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 you know, fight for my country. So he trains to be a Navy SEAL, he gets in, and he goes on one of four tours of duty in Iraq, and that, that, that's the spine of the film, and intercut with, basically, his um, relationship with Sienna Miller, his wife, who he meets in a bar and they end up having a family but it's it's a true story because the whole point of it is it, it's <clears throat> it's partly about his psychological breakdown in terms of the fact that you know he suffers severe post-traumatic stress well actually not just post-traumatic stress but in the middle of traumatic stress because he's going back on these tours of duty and he's still affected by things that have gone on previously but it's also really talking about the, um, the concept of the American soldier there's a reason this is called American Sniper because the American factor in this is very important. It's, it's actually the title of Chris, Boy- Chris Kyle's biography. But the the whole thing of, of you know, the reason Clint Eastwood and it was originally going to be Steven Spielberg who directed this, and he what he, the impo- the crucial thing is that he wanted he wanted there to be much more of a uh, a side told on the Iraqi side, and he wanted there to be two sides to this. American side was very 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 one sided, and it's dare I say it, it's at times a little bit jingoistic you know it's it's Clint Eastwood who strips everything back and he's very sort of well it's Clint Eastwood you know he'd look at <laughs> him <and> kill you <laughs> you can tell it's directed by someone who is himself that stock strong American 
hero in inverted commas and the, the, the big thing that I <clears throat> struggled with throughout was the whole was having to like a man who at one point I mean at one point he shoots a child dead an Iraqi child I don't think that a that, an, that, a, that an, a Hollywood film would ever let a main character played by someone called, called like Bradley Cooper shoot dead an American child in, in the theatre of war I don't think that would mm-hmm. ever happen you'd never get a film that was like this where he'd shoot an, a, an American kid in friendly fire or something I just, I just don't think that would happen whereas an Iraqi child it's fine it's an Iraqi you know yeah. and I, I struggle with that because you don't see the other side of this you don't see the the side of the civilians involved in because it's basically Fallujah they're in and it's, it's the Iraqi city that's been bombed to shit and they're basically clearing out of insurgents and there's some horrible things and that, that's the big thing about it that he doesn't he doesn't like shy away from reading from blood and gore and there's a horrible scene isn't there where he the, the, the villain of the piece to an extent kills someone with a drill and it's, it's really yeah. nasty it's really horrible it's very well, then again it's very stereotypical it is build up of it is and it's painting them as the evil ones the Iraqis when it really isn't that simple yeah. and, and I, I, I struggle with that I really did struggle with that and that was that wasn't as, as impressively done as the side of it that was Bradley Cooper's really very good performance I mean I did say earlier that he doesn't necessarily deserve to be nominated for an Oscar but regardless he's very very good and he plays he basically takes Chris Carl on a, on a journey throughout the whole thing a psychological journey so by the time you get to the ending and I won't actually reveal the, the details of that ending but the real life facts are out there you do feel quite sad uh, I did feel sad even though at times at times I wonder if the real life man was as sympathetic and, and he has drawn a lot of controversy this guy for the fact that he killed a lot of a lot of people and did he need to kill them I mean this, this is this is the question was he there I, I don't know it, it, I don't know yeah well I think Therefore, I am. Yes. Yes. Okay. I had a bit of a. I probably didn't enjoy it as much as you did. I, part there was like there was a very ongoing, concurrent thread of America, fuck yeah, throughout of it. We're but, watching Team America. Well, with the depiction of the Iraqis, then it might have been. <laughs> That's it. Was very it was very two D and very very two D, very plain and very simple. Um, like it was us and them. And on the one hand, at the start, no. I thought the first half was really good, but with that like thinly that like thinly drawn two D aspect of them over there, you have Bradley Cooper playing a very I wanna say my country is the greatest country in the world. I'm gonna go over there and I'm gonna go and basically beat those savages because he uses the word savages, I think, at times. Uh, he does. Yeah. Yeah. He uses the word savages. And it was it was an interesting style to get into that mindset of someone who would believe that and for, and I was, I kind of was beginning to feel I was going to be led on to perhaps him starting to question what he was doing and and like because the, I mean the start I mean the style like the start that you said before there's the scene where he does shoot a young Iraqi boy and he does seem yeah. to have like very conflicted and it, that thing is repeated again yeah. when um, there's he shoots someone with a massive like grenade launcher yeah. and he's there to, he's and this kid starts picking it up and starts aiming it towards where this like US tank is yeah. and he's pretty much willing him not to do it with the whole idea that Steven Spielberg was going to go and try and get and try and explore kind of more of the other side I don't think that really built really built on there and and I think there's, there's like one point in the film where it, where it seems to go from that potential 
questioning of what he's yeah. doing to become and where like narrative kicks in and he tries to string together a narrative and there's this one point where it suddenly seems to turn into an episode of 24 where it goes mm. from where it goes from a sort of realistic depiction of war and then you suddenly some, like, there's a major shootout and then you suddenly see one of the one of the wives suddenly watch yeah. this turn around pick up a phone and then suddenly start speaking to this like enemy rival sniper yeah. who um rival sniper who's been built as this like dodgy bad guy who seems to be taking out all these American soldiers left right and centre yeah. and like and this seems like Bradley Cooper starts getting a bit obsessed with this this other sniper yeah. and everything and he seems to try and start building up a narrative and then suddenly the interactions with his wife suddenly get very stereotypical and cliche mm. like goes like we want you here please don't go over there he goes I gotta go over there and get me some terrorists and yeah. this kind of stuff and he's like Oh god! And I started, and I actually at some point started to feel a bit bored. I'm. <laughs> you were checking, you were checking your watch, weren't you? you yeah, were I was checking the watch. I'm going, how the bloody hell is this? Yeah, and um, yeah. it just starts to get a bit too, I want to say, a bit too Hollywood. But I, I think it got a bit Call of Duty, but that, that, yeah. that was more what I thought of it. Really, it was just it was all a bit too guns blazing action. Yeah, I mean, and like climax, really. the idea of the psychological effects only seems to kick in like like the eleventh hour of the film. And, it, and at one point I'm thinking okay we've got another area of the after effects to kick in yeah. and then there's a very weird there's a very surreal coda that happens well not, well, not surreal there's the, the like the final scene occurs and I remember what, I remember the one point I think actually saying to myself well, will this end now and then the final scene that tells you that what happened to Chris Carl comes in and I'm thinking oh shit now I feel bad for finding the film boring yeah. for the last hour and I got the impression that it's built for people who already know the story. So if you don't know the story, or you don't know what yeah. happens, then it kind of pulls the rung under you, but not in a good way. Kind of mm. like I think I think if you watch it and you, and you know that that he, that he dies, even though we don't see him die, importantly, you know that happens as a as a coda, like you said. It, it's it, you'll have a different experience than if you go without seeing, you know, having not knowing, like we didn't know. So if you saw it, Tom. Now you know that he he's now dead, then you would have a different experience than we did because you would be you'd almost be waiting for that, I suspect. But then you may enjoy the the build up more. I, I I enjoyed it more than you. I, I I thought it was well made. I thought Eastwood directs well. You know he he, he knows what he wants. It's quite brutal at times. It's um, yeah. It's it's a tough film. It's a it's a it's a it's a masculine film. It's very full of machismo. Maybe too much machismo. Yeah. And you know it's well staged. The, the the ending was a bit too Call of Duty, and it loses something on the emotional side. But it was it looked good. There was a big sandstorm involved at the end, which was very well shot. I don't think it really deserves to be on this best picture category, though. No. I mean, this, this is the thing. You know, I mean, uh, I, I, I Foxcatcher's not in it now in the best picture category, and I would grade them roughly on the same level. So American Sniper's got in there. I don't quite know why. So it's 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 perfectly good. It's very good. It's 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 definitely worth seeing. Is it a great film? No. Does it have a great performance? No. It has a very good one from Bradley Cooper and Sienna Miller as well. He's very good, but it's it's not Oscar winning or Oscar worthy. In fact, for me, um, and it's not Clint Eastwood's best film at all. No. By mile. So that was American Sniper, and that will still be out in cinemas next week. It will probably for cool. a few weeks. I'd yeah. Imagine. Okay, so now we've reached the end of the podcast. Um, we'd like to thank all the guests are turning up so I want to say thank you to the big guy himself Tony thank you and good night thank you to Dan Tyler goodbye and thank you to Tom East we think uh, it was alright join us again for next week where you'll have a different host so you won't have me in my metaphysical ways 
<laughs> Thank you and good night. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.